This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Tuesday here at One Bills Drive. We are One Bills Live. Maddie Glab alongside of Steve Tasker, who was at Wegmans yesterday for the show, celebrating Very nice. 716 Day as it kicked off on Sunday at 716 p.m. Ran all the way through Monday evening, and the grand total raised by Buffalo over $1 million. Holy moly. An amazing, amazing, amazing thing to watch as the money poured in, the donations poured in, as people supported their favorite charities across western New York. I love that Buffalo has a day like this, a 716 day where people give back to the community. There was ways to volunteer throughout the weekend. Um, Just an incredible weekend, incredible day. Always look forward to 716 day. I don't know if a lot of other NFL teams have a day like that where the community comes together and they decide to donate boatloads of money to charities across <laughs> Western New York, but I think it's a really unique thing and speaks to Buffalo itself, the good neighbor, um, just how this community has come together time and time again to lift each other up and to support some some great charities, some great organizations. So way to go, Buffalo. You did it. And Steve, you were a part of well, was, that that video yeah. that came out on social <laughs> yeah. media with the, Marty. I know the guys were talking, were, were talking about it at the end of Sabres Live, I, but in Incredible performance! You had your I'm, kicking shoe. I did. I pulled the kicking wow. shoe out of the out of the attic. I was gonna say, was that when you put I it did. on? I was like, is that on display somewhere in his house? Was it in the attic? Where did he a, find this thing? I. It was mixed in. I, ironically enough, I don't know if it's ironically or weirdly enough, it was in with my kids' hockey gear. <laughs> so I was, and I was going, and I was going with uh, with Marty to do this, you know, this crazy. You know what it's like. You always kind of put your hands in J- in the hands of J- yourself in the hands of JJ yeah, yeah. and Kevin. Like, what are you guys going to have guys. us do today? Right. What do you want me to do? And yeah. I've learned to just trust them. I'm showing up. Right. Kevin Cargis and um, Ro- James Roble J. and J. then, J. you know, JJ Torito. And they go, here's our plan. And I said, okay, whatever. What do you want me to do? So, and I, <laughs> they didn't know it, but I did. I said, if they're going to have me kicking field goals, I got to do my thing. So I, I went up and dug the, the shoe out. And let me just say, I was. I was a little dis- I was a little disappointed in myself not being able to beat Marty Baron in a field goal, particularly given how awful Marty was at kicking. <laughs> so the competition was whoever kicked a field goal first would have to donate to that the, the losers charity. Yeah. Um, so or the loser would have to donate to the winners charity rather, and Marty was I able had to. Him. My ball drifted Get it left. in and Marty dinked one he off. He dinked the, one in. It was off, incredible off. watching that. <laughs> How many tries? It and was only see, like two. Okay, it's like I a second say, try. I mean, you saw see it. see the edited video. I can, didn't know if there were more tries. It wasn't edited that much because <laughs> you can imagine, Maddie, my stamina is not what it once was. That I had like three kicks in me. Honestly, that, Tasker, your first kick, I thought it went in. It was it was in the it was, perfect line. It went. It was. I kind of knuckled it and it dropped below the crossbar. But Dang we were it. going from like 20, 25 yeah, yards, twenty yards. I don't know. I can't thirty yard kick. I don't know mm-hmm. what it was. Um, nah, I was bummed. Marty beat me. Marty beat you fair and he just square. Put, he dinked one. He had the Nikes on. Yeah. You had the kicking shoe on. But it was a dink. Spot built. You know. My so money I thought I had that one, you. but I got too much of. I got. 
too high on the ball and eh, whatever. Hey, they look good. It's been a minute I since I kicked that. a field goal. <laughs> Emergency backup kicker Steve yeah. Tasker. How many field goals did you kick during your playing days? Well, in high school, I was a kicker. I was high an all-conference okay. kicker, straight on. Yeah. And then uh, that was it. That's all. I never kicked any place. Oh no, I kicked at junior college too. I was going to say, too. did you? Were you? I kicked used one. At I think at ju- community bills? college. I think I kicked one okay. with the community college at Dodge City Community College for okay. the Conquistadors. Mm-hmm. And then uh, not at Northwestern. Then at Northwestern, I started holding. Mm-hmm. I had a hand. I had a penchant. I was a, I had a knack for getting the ball down quick, and I got the ball down quick so the kickers could get a just a split second longer look at it. And when I got to the pros. For the Houston Oilers, Tony's and mm-hmm. Dejas picked me to be. The, they had like four guys do it, yeah. and he goes, "I like this one better." And I was like, "Sweet!" Was As you. like one more way I could make the roster, right? And I'll tell you a quick story. The first kick I ever held for in the National Football League was an extra point against Dan Marino and the Miami Dolphins no in the way. Astrodome for the Houston Oilers. Whew. And I was down there holding it, and it got blocked right back in our face. Oh, no. My first special teams oh, play, as a, it got blocked right back in our face. It wasn't my fault, but the kick got off in time. But, yeah. man, oh, man, it got we got hammered. So <laughs> that was my – yeah, so it was a while before I kind of got comfortable doing yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, I, I was the emergency kicker. That's an old spot-built shoe that I they, – they had it at every game. Mm-hmm. It was there. Just I case. never practiced. You know, but we'll do it live. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I got to be honest with you, I don't know who would have held. Yeah, because I was the holder. Yeah. So I don't know who emergency holder. And the reason I stopped holding, I did it for a while. Then later in my career, but one of the reasons they stopped having me hold was because my my hands got busted eleven times oh, while I was playing. Geez. Fingers, knuckles, all that stuff. Broken fingers. Well, what happens when your holder gets his knuckle busted in the game. You can't hold. Oh, you can't trust gosh. him to hold it right. So they, yeah. they, you know, excused me from that duty. Yeah. So there you go. How was the show at Wegmans yesterday the, to watch was, the donations pour in as I gotta, you guys were on air? Love, you and I Josh love Reed. people. I love my job. I love people. And we had people coming up and saying hi, taking pictures. And I was signing stuff. And they'd of go buy a hat and they'd bring it over and I'd sign it. And, uh, but then people don't realize the show's on TV too, right? So people are, wa- are people walking up and they're the just walking the up. Hey. They're walking sign, up, hit, punching the arm. Hey, I, right? and they start talking to you, right? And I, we had these headphones and yeah. mics, and uh, I was, you know, you always have to get one minute. Hold on, just hold wait, on. just one, just, just give I me break. one minute, right? And then we we'd put the headphones down during mm-hmm. a commercial break, and people come over and talk, and then and Jay's fun. over there going ten, nine, eight. Get we're we're going to get back and say, okay, excuse me, I got to, you know. So we didn't have a chance to really kind of gather it up between commercial breaks. Yeah. There's a t- Wegmans is. It's, it was crazy yesterday. Well, it always is. I mean, good grief. Well, I was there yesterday, so I was off for two weeks, went to France with my husband, which was incredible. Well, we're going to get to that. We came back into town, got into town um, early, early Monday morning because we flew into Toronto and had to drive into Buffalo um, late Sunday night into early Monday morning. And I was doing grocery shopping right. for the week as I was getting myself ready for the week. And it was noon, and I went to the one near where I live. And the parking lot was packed, and I was hoping it would be empty. You know, I could do my grocery shopping, no big deal, not have to, like, right. beep up Fight around crowds. a million people. And it was so busy. I was like, what the heck is going on? Yeah, it's I don't Monday, know why that was. And I don't know if it was lunchtime. You know, people also trying to do grocery shopping for the week. But Wegmans is always packed. It was, it was <laughs> like all hands on deck at Wegmans yesterday. They had, like, every register was open. And, you know, you know they got... 
the Wegman, the big Wegmans, they got like twenty five yeah. of those things, yeah. and they were all just cranking, and people, you know, it was, it was crazy. Got my Wegman sushi for lunch. So Shout out to the sushi. I did too. So I, good. What I did too. I, I got, love their sushi. Yeah. So tell you were gone for two weeks. I was so gone you for two you weeks. were part of the vacated masses. This building was empty for yeah. two weeks, Mad Girl. It's there's now people in here. Um, walked by the training facility our weight room and saw a bunch of our players starting rookies to lift weights the rookies are reporting today at camp um not really at camp they're reporting here and then moving over to camp probably within the next few days i saw spencer brown in the weight room i saw some of our younger guys in the weight room i was like oh man we're back Shifting here gears. we go so what was it how's that gotta be you were, you, you if you're like me so you go to France for two weeks. It was you amazing. and your husband Steve. Yeah, and you—if you're like me—you didn't. You maybe thought about the show and we're like twice the whole mm-hmm. time, right? Yeah. Like once when you're leaving, like I hope they're, like, and then mm-hmm. once on your way back, right? Yep. So unplugged. You, right. I retweeted some things from the Bills account. Right, you know, right. things that happened. Um, anything noteworthy? The seven one six stuff. I was retweeting, but I tried to kind of stay off. And it, yeah. when you're in a foreign country, you know your your phone isn't working unless you have a plan. So right. we had airplane mode on for most of the entire day. Airplane mode. Yeah. Nice. So not not using our phones much at all um because we didn't buy a plan or anything and just used wi-fi at the hotel when we could have it so it was nice to to unplug for a couple weeks and to reset and refresh for camp and i I feel ready and it was amazing because i want to ask you all the you know the details and all that but give me a thumbs up or thumbs thumbs up thumbs down to France. I mean, thumbs oh, up, big right? thumbs up. It big was my up. it was my third time going oh, to France. You're, so you're I'm friendly. I'm a French girl. Oh, there you go. Not man. I'm not French. I just love going to France. Yeah, you, I took French place. for ten years growing up. My grandma would go over to France almost every year when I was younger. Um, she's a huge foodie, um, chef, really great um, baker, and so she would go over with chefs who would would kind of live in in America and in France. So she would go back and forth with them and so because of her I started taking French when I was like in first grade took it a little bit in elementary school and then ended up minoring in it in college so by the time I was in college I kind of knew the language really well and still was able to for this trip at least um, was able to get my myself and my husband around France speaking French and did the Duolingo leading up to the trip for, you know, a few months. So felt good to be able to speak it and uh, feel really comfortable there. Paris was great. Loved Paris. It's life-changing going over there and being able to interact with Yeah, it makes it a more enjoyable experience. I know people sometimes say, you know, people in, in France are not nice to people who speak English, but if you try, at least from my experience, I don't know about everybody's experience, but at least my experience, if you try to, you know, the, the bonjour, the merci, the au revoir, like right. try and say a few words, it, it gets you, gets you around a little bit. And we did Bordeaux, which is their version of wine country. And so their that Napa was a lot Valley of fun there, Napa yeah. Valley. So that was really cool. A bunch of small wineries that have been around for like hundreds of years. Really? Uh, so that was amazing. So do you notice like, can you... Pick a French wine out. If you let a line of blind taste test, could you pick a French wine I don't wine think out? I'm that good at wine tasting to be able to pick one out, but we did find, and I sound like a wine snob saying this, we found a region <laughs> there that we really enjoyed and found ourselves drinking almost the entire trip. They have 
incredible rosé there um, because Provence is an area that does really good rosé and, and white wine. We went to Champagne, too. That's like an hour and a half away from Paris. So we did a Champagne tour, which was also really cool. Love Champagne. Big fan of Champagne. So that was, my, champagne. that was my favorite. Nice. Yeah. And then we spent the last week on the south of France. We rented a car in Bordeaux. We drove eight hours to the south of France and um, bopped around a couple of cities there and, and hung out by the beach right on the Mediterranean. The water was amazing. So, And now we're back in Buffalo, and I'm happy to be back. It was a great trip, great reset, but training camp is right around the corner. I know a bunch of our staffers are are already out there. A lot of our guys who Mm -hmm. set up training camp and kind of see it through from start to finish and and really planning it months ago, that group is already out there getting things ready to go for the team, getting things ready to go for the staffers who are going to be out there every day. We'll have the show out there every day soon enough. Um, Rookies reported today. I'm planning to head out there on Tuesday next week. Right. So, and practice officially starts Wednesday is the first practice. Yeah, nine teams, nine teams are reporting today, the rookies. And that means reporting means they're showing up and they're probably here for the duration, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it's a long, it's a long way to get to it. It seems like it takes forever just to get the first preseason game. And then you wake up one morning and the season's over. But the, the training camp's going to start. The guys are in town today, the rookies, reporting. You can see – and like Maddie said, we can see them walking around here. Uh, there's nine other teams – or eight other teams. It's the Bills, mm-hmm. the Chargers, the Chiefs, the Dolphins, the Falcons, the 49ers, the Giants, the Ravens, and the Saints. All those teams show up today and – of course, some of everything's every team's different. So the Bills have they'll do a ton of stuff here this week leading up to, but then they'll head over to St. John Fisher, and that they move locations and they truck. I was going to say the Bills I'm sure truck some of the everything trucks are over going there. Out there this they go week. every. They take everything. I'm sure some over there. have already gone out there. I was me. We were upstairs getting coffee in the cafeteria, and there's like meetings going on. Yeah. There's you know, groups, <laughs> and I go, Who, who's you know any big people have to live there? Do you have to live at training camp and like? Three of them raise their hands like, "Yeah, we that's me." And like, Tass, here you go back and forth. Oh, dude, I, you're you're in no and out. I'll go through PT, PTSD. You want to? I'll I'll share a funny story from last year about camp. So, because Tasker does not stay out at camp, lucky guy. Um, I moved out there last year, and I got in. I don't know if it was like a Monday or Tuesday night late, and I get into my room dorm room that we're staying in that you know the staff stays on the same floor and so I, I move into my room plus accommodations plus accommodations so move in it is so hot outside and it is so hot in my room and it's like 11 o'clock at night I'm like who's gonna fix my AC at 11 o'clock right. at night it's like 80 There's in this room I cannot sleep here tonight I love a cold room at night um so I called maintenance, and they were like, we, we can't do anything about this tonight. We can maybe get a new unit in tomorrow or during the week. And so that night, your your room was like two doors next to mine. And I was like, Tasker is not here right now. I'm sleeping <laughs> I'm in his there. room. And then – I do have a room and there that, then that I never use. my AC never got fixed. They were like, we need a new AC unit. We can't fix this. So I just switched the names on our doors, and I gave <laughs> you – You took – you yeah. took the room that I didn't know I had. And I, didn't use? I gave you my broken AC room, and I, <laughs> I stayed broke. in your room through all That's of the camp story of my because life right you there, had a man. working AC and I did not. Story so. of my life, right there. 
Yeah, that fun that, times. That's, that's funny. <laughs> Perfectly willing to do that. I. That's funny because you know they. Just in case, you know, they, they have a – there's more than enough St. Yeah. John Fisher I mean, we, dorm we take over the dorms, Yeah, basically. they give and we they give them to us. And we take over half the campus. Uh, yeah, so it's it's really not – it's been a home run for the Buffalo Bills being at St. John Fisher. And I'm not just saying that. It's, it's great for them to go over. I know Sean McDermott is absolutely adamant about the team needing to get away from their everyday life and the grind of being at home and having stuff to do with your family and friends away from the field – but to get them over in St. John Fisher, it's it's twenty four seven, all training camp all the time, and it really gets those guys in together. The old guys and the new guys and the and the new guys who are old, yeah, you know, they get them gets them acclimated. Uh, I think as as long as Sean McDermott's the coach here and Brandon Bean, they're going to keep going to St. John Fisher. They I always agree. signed a one year deal or whatever, and so there's always that possibility. Plus, with the you've seen it with the work they've done here, they could do training camp here. And not flinch, but it means got you know it would mean you know what there's no hotel right here. You know if they built the hotel, I mean, maybe the new stadium they're going to build a hotel mm-hmm. over there. Maybe they start doing training camp there after that, that or whatever. But for the time as it is, I think they're not leaving St. John Fisher, and, and and I think they get a lot out of it. Yeah, and the Bills are what now one of few teams who go away for camp. You know, every year it seems like more and more teams are starting to stay at their own facility just because you can't replicate what you have at your own facility, and St. John Fisher has such great facilities where, you know, in – in addition to us bringing some stuff out to camp with their facilities, they're completely able to make it work as if they were in this facility. Now they don't have everything that they have here out at St. John Fisher, but it it works every year. And I, I agree. I don't think yeah, they'll I, ever leave St. John Fisher uh, until if something happens with the new stadium to where there's places right, there's, for the guys to stay. That's right. But it's it's so great being able to stay in the dorms and kind of have everybody in one place for two and a half weeks where you can monitor what's going on. Um, the guys are together. They're building relationships. They're creating that chemistry. It's a great place for all of that to start. Um, and you want it to be as as close-knit as possible by the time week one begins and there's no other way to do that but by having guys stay out somewhere together and I think it's so valuable I was talking to somebody the other day who was asking me you know why why do they go all the way out to Rochester not that not that it's far but why do they go out to Rochester why do they do this do this and it's it's for the bonding it's for the chemistry and the team building that happens in those two and a half weeks out somewhere together it's a little bit – people get tired of hearing it sometimes, and they, they kind of think – I know. We say it every it, year. They think it's overplayed a little bit, but it's really it's not. It's true. When guys go through a football season together, 100% of them are going to get hurt. Mm-hmm. 100% – every single guy is going to get hurt. They know it, and some of them expect it. You know you're just going to be physically uncomfortable. You're going to be playing when you don't feel 100%. You're risking it every single snap that something might go wrong. It's a physical risk to play the game. And it hurts. And even in today's game where, you know, I, I know all the cynics will say so the game's a lot softer and all that. Yeah, okay, it hurts. And if you know you're going to do something where you're going to have to invest your emotion and, and kind of gear up and say, okay, i got to take this guy on, here we go. And it's going to be a physical confrontation and you're going to hurt over it. And you need to know. It helps to really know the guys you're doing it with and for. It really adds to your commitment when you care about the guys you're on on the team with. 
because you understand they're hurting too. And if you're going to do this together, it really matters if you really care about each other. And I know it sounds hokey to say something like that, but it's true. I mean, you've been through it. You true. know, you yeah. know from a player's perspective yeah. and, and through well, training you played, camps that you played you've been through. played competitive softball. And yeah. I mean, I get it. it's different. But when you're on a team with somebody and you're, and you're going to risk and you're going to compete together, yeah. the more you know and the more you like and the more you're familiar with the guys you play and participate with, and particularly in the, in the case of football, if you're going to be, you know, in some pain because of – and four, and you know, you're going to play when you're hurt because you don't want to let those guys down. You need to have a level of relationship with all, I mean, every guy in the locker room. You need to know something about them. <clears throat> and the more you do, the better that gets and the more willing you are. And the coaching staff sees the results. I mean, the more they got guys who are willing to do anything play through an injury, play when they're not comfortable, play, you know, show up to work when they're sick. You know, just everything you could ever ask a guy to do physically and to show up and to be engaged and to invest emotion and intellect and contribute on and off the field, it it makes an enormous difference when the group is familiar and friendly and and bonded like that. So Sean McDermott obviously believes that. That's one of the reasons they they do go away for training camp, and that's that's why it started way back in the day. And nothing's changed. I mean, people don't change. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the text they, the techniques they use for team building do they get bigger and better things and better tricks and things they do, but the concept never changes. And that's why I think you know Sean McDermott is so sold on going to St. John Fisher. And when you go over there, you get an idea. You can see it when you watch practice and stuff. The guys interacting and, and intermingling and all the time with different you'll see if you watch one guy he'll talk to 30 guys during yeah, practice yeah and that think, doesn't really happen in here mm-hmm. I think one other thing too thinking about training camp now versus when you were playing is so much shorter so you have a shorter mm-hmm. amount of time to build up that team chemistry where of course you're doing some of that during OTAs and mandatory mini camp but not everybody's around people are rehabbing during that time training camp is really the time to focus and get set for the season and when you have a two and a half week training camp now basically what it is three weeks um, you're practicing for two and a half weeks really before preseason games start you have uh, a short amount of time to get things right and get things together so I think it helps when when you have everybody in one place I mean, when you were playing, training camps were, what, six weeks? Six. Eight weeks? Six weeks. Four Forever pre-se- weeks? We had four preseason games, and you started two, two weeks before the preseason so you had longer So you had a longer amount of time to build that team ke- chemistry mm-hmm. and to Right. When I was with the Houston Oilers, my rookie, yeah, my rookie started. season, we went from Houston, and we drove to San Angelo, Texas, mm-hmm. instead of Houston. For those of you, it's not, it's not like going to St. John Fisher. It's not like going to – it's not even going – it's not even like going to to Erie, PA for training camp. It was a it was a, like a ten hour drive oh from gosh. Houston to San Angelo, Texas, Ugh. through the wet West Texas, and it took forever to drive out there. And you were there for six weeks at San Dang. Angelo State, Oof. and f- for the first two weeks or two weeks in there, there were fourteen days in the two weeks. 14 days, it was above 100. Oh, no. 10 of those 14 days, it was above 110. And you were probably doing two days, too. Oh, yeah. So it was 
nuts it, how how bad it was. So it was like two. It was like six weeks of that. You guys all hated each you other by the end of begging camp. for preseason games to get there. <laughs> so you just at least get to a hotel yeah. room, you know, just travel and get out mm-hmm. of there. It was it was horrific. It was I couldn't believe it, but that's the way it was back then. And that was you know that was third. It was thirty eight years ago. So it was a different world. It was mm-hmm. a different world we lived in. But it was. Uh, it, it's better now. Uh, forget the forget this stuff about Soviet. It's better now. Yeah. The game is better. Practices are better. The techniques are better. The coaching's better. The guys are better. They're better. They're more professional. When I came into the league, the old guys had side jobs in the off season. They just go work a nine to five because you no, know, you know the old guys did that when they were younger. Now, but when I got there for a few years, right before I got there, guys could be full-time NFL players. I didn't have, didn't, and I didn't. I never got a second job as a player. But, you know, nobody's, make, nobody's getting rich back then. So then when that changed, guys could be pro athletes, and they'd show up to training camp and ready. Mm-hmm. And they were, a lot of guys did that in my day. So slowly but surely, the coach said, well, you know, they're, they're in shape. We don't need a six-week training camp for these guys to get in shape so that's it's going to continue to evolve from here as well but they got we're doing like nine shows from training camp nine yeah that's all there is yeah yeah it's changed quite a bit even since I've been on since uh 2019 with training camps and I know we had a couple camps here in Buffalo because of COVID um always good to be back at St. John Fisher speaking of making money uh, a few running backs didn't make uh the money that they wanted to make at least in terms of signing long-term extensions uh since that window, that due date has come, uh, Josh Jacobs and Saquon Barkley, uh, a couple of the guys, and Tony Pollard as well, who did not reach those long-term extensions that they were wishing for. Well, we'll cover that later in the show, possibly our next segment. But wanted to bring up a Twitter topic for today. We're going to begin to turn the page at least when it comes to looking forward on this season and start talking about the state of this team going through some position groups and and analyzing those seeing where those position groups are at ahead of training camp we'll dip into the running backs today later in the show and we have a twitter question to kind of go along with that position group with the offense what new wrinkle do you want to see from ken dorsey and the bills offense this offseason you can tweet at us or call us here at 8030550 the lines are open for you we're going to take a break when we return we'll dip into the tweet sheet talk a little bit about those running backs here so don't go anywhere we are one bills live we're presented to you by collida health on buffalo bills radio Back here on One Bills Live, and let's go around the NFL presented by Kaleida Health. We all know that the Titans and the wide receiver DeAndre Hopkins are expected to ink a two-year deal, $26 million. And, Tasker, I haven't gotten your thoughts on mm-hmm. this yet. I know you've spoke on it, but I want to hear what you have to say about it. What do you think? Do you think the Titans are is the right place for him? Are you surprised by two year twenty six million dollar deal? Yeah. What do you think? Well the twenty six million dollars over two years, twelve million the first yep. year with the chance to get fifteen the next year if with incentives. 
uh, it, it's a lot of money for DeAndre Hopkins. And I think, I think the Bills, the Chiefs, uh, the Chargers, the Bengals, any of these teams that might be considered contenders at this point mm-hmm. of the season, you know, before they've ever started, that's out of their price range. Yeah. They're not going to pay him that. And I, and I think certainly he said he would love to go to a contender. Uh, and I think he would have if the money was the same. But nobody who thinks they're going to have a shot at the Super Bowl was going to pay him or had that money under the cap to pay him. That's a lot for and two I, years. And I don't blame him. I, I, I hear that about going to a contender, all that. But when push comes to shove, money speaks. $12 million bucks money is still talks. life-changing money. Maybe it's not life-changing for DeAndre Hopkins at this point of his career. Mm-hmm. But it's too much money not to take. Okay, so from that perspective, because the last time I was on the show, Chris Trapasso and I were kind of talking about, okay, where is he going to go? Is he going to take the money versus a contender? It's looking like he's going to take the money if offered to him. From a perspective of you have played in this league, you you know the guys in this league, you know the mindset of, of money over a contender. At that point in your career, he's a veteran in this league. I know it's, it depends on the person, but I was kind of thinking if I was in his shoes and now, you know, I'm different than DeAndre Hopkins. Who knows if I was offered $10, $12 million what I would do. But when you already have a decent amount of money, when you're already a multimillionaire like he is, is going to a contender – Almost better than receiving that money. I you can't guarantee a Super Bowl. Right. Um, that's that's a a memorable, memorable, memorable you know life changing thing. If you're able to win a Super Bowl, something that you'll never forget in your NFL career, would you want a shot at that as a veteran over getting twenty six million dollars over two years? I don't know. I that's find that hard. It's, it's I-, I can understand both sides. Yeah, I'll say this. I know this, too. When you get to a point in your career, maybe where DeAndre Hopkins is, he might, after 10 years, plus two rough years of the past two years where he missed a total of 15 yeah. games over the last two years. Six of them were for suspensions. But, you know, injuries, and he's starting to get nicked up, and it's hard to dredge it up. Uh, he's, he's played 10. Um, he's had a great career already. And I don't. I, I can't get into his mind, but I know this. Right. At the end of my career, it kind of would have felt like this to me. The money is the only thing that makes it worth it right now, because it's <laughs> okay, hard. It's, okay. They're they're not paying yep. me to play. Mm-hmm. They're not really paying DeAndre Hopkins to play football. I'm the, the team is. That, yeah. They're paying DeAndre Hopkins to get him to show up and prepare and play well. They're mm-hmm. they're paying for the guy's commitment. Okay. And when I was thirteen year or twelve years in, and going to my thirteen, it was really hard. To so dredge the up money, the passion yeah. to prepare to play. Yeah. So really you're, pay, you're, you're really paying him to practice and play mm-hmm. and get ready to play, play well. Mm-hmm. It, it's like trying to hire – it's like trying to hire, you know, uh, you know uh, one of these you – know, like, uh, I don't know, a billionaire. It's like trying to hire a billionaire to come in and, and talk to your job fair. Yeah. He'll do it, but he ain't doing it for nothing. Yeah. Yeah, and for to make it worth his time, you got to really chunk it at him. Yeah, so that's kind of where these guys are. Okay, I'll show up, I'll play, but man, oh man, I don't want to play for that. I'm, I would rather. Yeah. I got so much money, I would rather go to the go to the beach in Jamaica yeah. for for two and months. The, the fan in me thinks, wouldn't you want to do it for the love of the game, for the chance to win? The a guy Super loves Bowl. the game. They do love the game, but man, oh man, the game don't love you back. Yeah. 
Okay. You know what I mean? Okay. It it hurts, like mm-hmm. I said. And I, when I late in my career, you couldn't train hard because it hurt. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You couldn't really practice hard. You got I have to train around my sore shoulder, and I got can't do this exercise because my ankle hurts, and I can't do this exercise because I can't grip like I used to. You know that kind of yep. thing. Yep. And so it used to be. When you're young, these guys can go out and they can run all day, lift all day, jump all day, play hard all day to get ready to play. When you get 10 years in, like DeAndre Hopkins, you got to think about, okay, I I, better be getting paid this much money because this is hard. It's hard to train, let alone play. Mm -hmm. So there there might be a little bit of that in him where he's like, if it ain't this number, I just might call it. Okay. I get that. I get that. Wide receiver aside, DeAndre Hopkins aside, running backs. We mentioned that in the first segment of the show. Saquon Barkley, Josh Josh Jacobs, and Tony Pollard. Um, no long-term contracts for them. That has passed, so they will now all play on the franchise tag, which is worth $10.91 million for running backs. Um, Pollard has already signed his tender. Barkley and Jacobs remain unsigned and will stay away from their team's off-season programs. Who knows when those two will come back to their teams or participate in training camp, if at all. Were you expecting a long-term deal to be reached with any of these players? It was out there that Saquon and the Giants were in talks. They, you know, the Giants tried their best to get something going with Saquon, but they weren't able to reach an agreement. We've talked about the running back market on this show, the life of running backs in today's NFL. It's not what it used to be. Uh, The last time I saw this tweet from Adam Schefter, Yesterday, uh, he said, with no long-term deals for Saquon Barkley, Josh Jacobs, and Tony Pollard, the last time a running back signed a long-term deal, long-term contract worth $10 million or more per year, was Nick Chubb in 2021, 717 days ago. If that says something, <laughs> that says a lot about the running back market and where it's at today. And it, and it plays into what we've been talking about, how hard, hard the game is on guys. Uh, rookies have their best years in their first in their rookie contracts. Mm-hmm. Saquon is got the has the franchise. Hey, think about this. And one of my good friends uh, texted us texted me in this the five presidents yesterday. Yep, yep. And he said, "Okay, so they paid Daniel Jones forty one million dollars a year for fifteen touchdowns and whatever yards he got." Saquon Barkley was 60% of the offense of the New York Giants, and they won't pay him. They won't give it to him. And with the season that he had last year, after the season, I was like, he is so getting a long-term deal. This team needs him. He was their offense. He is their guy. He is their offense. If you don't have him, what do you have? You need to sign him to a long-term deal. And it just didn't happen. I was surprised. I thought if anybody was going to get a long-term deal, it was going to be Saquon Barkley. I did, too. That He seems... Of the three we're talking about, Tony Pollard, Saquon Barkley, and Josh Jacobs. Tony, I mean, Saquon is—he's the too. engine of the New York yeah. Giants' season last year. A playoff season in a season where they didn't think they were going to go anywhere. I know they went to and won a playoff Ooh. game, and Saquon was sixty percent of the offensive side of the football. That's big, and now they're going to franchise him a ten point oh nine million dollars is the number and that's 
Oof. I, that's amazing. That's the economics where it just is like, wow. That, Saquon tweeted, it, seems, it is what it is. Yeah, it seems to me that's a – there's not too many of them, but that's a flaw in the way the game is – that's yeah. a flaw. I, I know it's where the game is at. I know this is a pass-first league. I understand that. I understand that with the quarterbacks that are in the NFL today, but – for someone who I love to root for the players, you know, yeah, I love yeah. to root for for them being at their best and because they're at their best, getting a good amount of money in return for what they're able to put on the field. And it's I totally get why they're upset, why they're frustrated. It sucks that this is where the running back market is today to where guys like Saquon who go 1300 rushing yards last year, 10 touchdowns, Josh Jacobs, who has over 1600 rushing yards and 12 touchdowns, Tony Pollard, a thousand rushing yards and nine rushing touchdowns. They can't get long-term deals with their teams. It's saying that, you know, you are replaceable at some point in your career a lot quicker than than other position groups. And it's easy to find rookie running backs or veteran running backs who, who aren't going to be paid too much to get the job done, depending on what type of offense you run on your team. I wish it wasn't the case for these guys. It's the case right now. I wonder how long this is going to go on to where running backs really aren't worth too much because you're paying quarterbacks so much. You're paying wide receivers so much. You're paying edge rushers, tackles, left tackles, defensive tackles so much money to where there's just not enough to go around. Right, and it's also this too. The philosophies have changed regarding running back. Buffalo is a perfect example for it and others as well where um, most teams don't have – Saquon Barkley, so they've got they've got James Cook, Devin Singletary, Zach Moss, and Naheem Hines, and all four of them play. Mm-hmm. They play all of them because it's such a a brutal and physical place to play, and you have to have a, a certain you have to have a skill set that's wide ranging as a wide as a running back, and you got to be tough as nails, and you got to be big enough and strong enough, and you got to be able to protect and, and all this stuff you got to do, and so they can find guys and piecemeal a complete backfield together with three players with three players yeah. one guy's a pass protector one guy's a cat pass catcher one guy's a physical runner they can they all kind of run each it cost you a couple million or one or guy's a million yeah each. one guy's got one guy's got speed the other guy's got hand whatever and so you piece it together or you go at least you put together as many pieces as you can without becoming so predictable as when he's in the game they're going to do this and when that guy's in the game they're going to do that and for and they pay him each Three, three point five, four million bucks a year. You got taken care of. You got three guys on the roster instead of just one. And if if Saquon Barkley twists his ankle, it's all gone. And some of them may even help on special teams too. That's right. So it just they get more production and more coverage of all the skill sets and things you need on a football team from three guys for less money than they do one elite running back. And the drop off is. It's it's not noticeable, particularly in a league where you've got a if you got a quarterback, he's the guy. You know, you you don't miss handing the ball off because you don't want to hand it off. Yeah. You want to throw it. Yeah. So that's kind of the philo- philosophical shift yep. of where we're at, and the running and it sucks for those guys. Oh man. Ugh. And you know the thing too is when you're little, when you're coming up through the ranks, everybody wants to be the running back because they get the ball. I know. Because nobody can throw it. You don't have enough quarterbacks and all that kind of stuff. So they run the ball a lot. So those guys, 
you know, it's great when you're when you're handing the ball and you're the guy and and you can run it and say if you if you have a kid, if you have a kid today and that kid wants to play football, you tell him that kid do not play running back. Learn how to catch or learn how to tackle. Yeah. Don't do it. Don't Woo. don't carry the ball. Oh my gosh, you're right. I mean that's it's uh it's philosophically you can see it. And the problem is because there are so many young running backs, the, the best athlete on the young teams, there's a lot of them. He's the guy that you put in the backfield and hand it to him. He's the guy because he's physically better when they're little, and then and he it, it, that stays yeah. throughout the levels of football. The problem is there's a ton of those guys, and from a guy like Saquon Barkley and Josh Jacobs and Derrick Henry and Nick Chubb and all these guys. There's not that big a drop-off between them and Kenneth Walker and Jamal Williams from Detroit and Aaron Jonathan Jones Taylor. from Green Bay and Ramondre Stevenson, you know, and Joe you know, Tyler Al- Algier, you know, from Atlanta, Najee Harris from Pittsburgh. You go down the list, all those guys have 1,000 yards in the season on the year last year. So it's not that huge of a drop-off from the top elite guys down to you get down to the middle of the pack in the rushing totals of the NFL. You know who could change all this? Let's see what B. John Robinson does in his first few years. Yeah, he could either change it or reinforce it. Mm-hmm. You know? it's. I'll say this. I love where the Bills are at with their running back room. With, you know, Naheem Hines, James, James Cook, Damian Harris, Latavius Murray. And all those guys have some chops in the league and they bring something, but that's, that's what we're looking at. Yeah. That whole room is Saquon Barkley count. You know what I mean? I, there's, there may be a little bit, of, but there's not that much financially different from them. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. here's a tweet, uh, veteran running backs this off season, guys who took a pay cut, Joe Mixon, Aaron Jones, guys who were cut Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott, Dalvin cook, Leonard Fournette. Tagged but no deal. Saquon, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard wanted a new deal and asked for a trade. Austin Eckler has been a free agent all offseason. Kareem Hunt. It is tough sledding for these guys out here. Man, oh, man. It is so hard. One more thing before we go to break, Tasker. Uh, Cleveland Browns unveiled an alternate white helmet. I like it. I do, too. It is clean. It looks – I got it. You know, I – I'm not. A, I'm not a Browns fan. I'm. You know. I've got. I've got a lot of respect for the franchise and their history and all that. But it looks great. I the love white it. helmet Ugh. with the orange and brown stripes down the middle. Yes, and the, it looks so good. It looks great. I love it. I think they're. That's. I always. Ha- I like the white jerseys by and large. Mm-hmm. I like the away jerseys for teams around the league more yep. than I do their their home colors. White I looks just, good. White looks clean and fresh. And man, oh man, this outfit for the Browns is. Yeah. That's the best look they've had in 50 years. Let's see if they can play that. Maybe play in that their history. They may be, that may be the best-looking Browns uniform <laughs> I have ever seen in my lifetime. I like it. Way to go. White helmets. Love the alternate I helmets. I like it. Can't wait to see some more get unveiled. I hope you continue to stink in them, but I, I do like the But the I like what you're wearing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That's Around the NFL presented by Kaleida Health. We're going to take a break. When we return, we'll dip into that tweet sheet. We've got some callers hanging on the line, so we'll get to you guys as well. We're One Bills Live presented by Kaleida Health on Buffalo Bills Radio.
Buffalo Bills strive to provide our fans with the best game day experience in the NFL, and we need you to help make it happen. Join the Buffalo Bills and our Highmark Stadium service partners for a stadium job affair on Saturday, July 22nd in the Ad Pro Sports Training Center Fieldhouse from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Available positions include ticket takers, security, parking, lot flaggers, concessions, and housekeeping. Be a part of the team. All right, come on out to Highmark Stadium, the Ad Pro Sports Training Center Fieldhouse from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Saturday, July 22nd. Some awesome jobs, a way to be at the stadium on game day. No better place to be throughout the fall and the winter. All right, our Twitter topic for today is what new wrinkle do you want to see from Ken Dorsey and the Bills offense this season? A great question as we roll into training camp, and we've had Kevin from Hamburg who's been hanging on the line. So, Kevin, let's go right on over to you and see what you have to say about the offense. How you doing? Hey, offense. guys, how you doing? Doing good. How are you? I'm fine. Um... What I want to wrinkle I want to bring up is now, and I called about this back when they first signed Damian Harris and Murray. Now we got some tankier dudes. I hope we use them a lot more. Like, like take for example, and I remember calling this to Steve. I think you probably remember I brought up the Packer game because of all the games last year that the Bills won, that one irked me the most because we could have crushed them, but we didn't have a great running game with guys like that. And we could have crushed them, so Josh had to do all the work and throw two bad picks and let him get back in the game, which they should have been a massacre. But I hope if we have two tanky guys, finally Dorsey uses them a lot more. So, yeah, um, I agree with you. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I would, and I I understand what you said, uh, Kevin. I would much rather, if you go back to the Packer game, I, I would much rather not – I mean, I like the guys they got. I'm glad they did this with Latavius Murray and uh, Damian Harris. I love the guys in James Cook. It's going to be great. But if you're going to go back and fix a game from last year, I would fix it by cutting out the turnovers rather than changing out the players. The, the Packer game should have been – well, it was. It was a big win. I mean, they beat them by 10, and it wasn't that close, like you said. But if they didn't turn the ball over three times, it would never have been in any kind of doubt. So if you're going to fix things, that's what you fix. Just don't turn the ball over. <laughs> uh, and you're right, though. In a game like that where you're, where you're routing people, if you could run the ball well, you wouldn't have to throw it and wouldn't turn it over so much. I get it. So, but, you know, for me, that's what you fix. You don't change your philosophy. You yeah. just don't turn it over. In terms of using running backs more and, and helping out with that rushing offense, looking back at numbers from last year, and this is a skewed number because Josh Allen did average a lot of rushing yards a game. The Bills ranked seventh, averaging 139.5 rushing yards per game. Josh had a bulk of those. Um, looking back at another stat, so this was from the playoffs last season. Bills leading non – okay, so – Non-Josh Allen rushers averaged 39.4 rushing yards per game in playoff games since Josh Allen was drafted. That was heading into the divisional round game against the Bengals, which the Bills lost. And I would assume not much has changed with that stat. 
that's that's a that's kind of a wild stat. Right. That running backs who are not Josh Allen averaged 39.4 rushing yards per game, rushing yards per game yeah. in playoff games since Josh was drafted. And I would assume that number since they had only played one more playoff game after that, that number hasn't changed much. We'll see what the case is this year and you know, I understand in the playoffs you want to use your best asset. Their best asset is right. Josh Allen. And so, sure, the passing may be a little bit more in the Bills' favor in terms of how they're using it, in terms of the share. But it is colder outside. You are playing games in January and February, and that's when people say you want to lean on your rushing game a little bit more because the games that you are playing outside, it gets a little bit tougher um, when the weather gets colder you're going to want to use something like that. You're going to want to have that in your arsenal. And I think that's what I look back on the most with this team since Josh has been drafted is sure he's a superhero in a lot of ways and he can handle the rock and he can take it in in short yardage situations to score touchdowns and he can jump over people. But you would like to be able to have that in your, in your pocket, in your toolbox to use when you need it, to use to help throw defenses in even more of a loop than they already in than they're already in because you have to be preparing for two things instead of really just one you, thing. You in don't want them to games. Pre- you don't want them to prepare for Josh Allen. You want them to prepare for everybody else. Yeah. Um be- and that's what you want. You want enough guys out there that are threats to the defense that where they got to think, okay, this Latavius Murray if he comes in or if uh, um Damian Harris comes in, or James Cook, whoever. If they're in there, they can run the ball out of this, and and we've got to be ready for it. So we got to if they get into this formation with these people and they run this shift, we're going to drop a guy down into the box, that kind of stuff. And when those kind, when you get teams thinking about everything except Josh, where they don't have to worry about all they got to do is cover up Steph Diggs on passing downs, and then try and defend Josh. Right, keep him in the pocket, uh, rush in your lanes, make sure he doesn't have any place to run to, get him on the ground. You, that's what your game plan would be up until the last year. Now, you think, okay, well, wait a minute. Now, if if, if they get into a passing down, we can't rush our lanes. We got to get there fast because if we don't, he's going to dump it off quick to James Cook, or he's going to dump it off to Kincaid or Knox. He's going to take the easy throw. Josh didn't do that very much last year. And that's not on Ken Dorsey. That's on Josh. Um, There were a lot of times when Josh was trying to snap off a big chunk, Mm -hmm. and he wouldn't. Teams see that about him. The the Minnesota Vikings said that after the game. They just knew that Josh was going to try and fit the ball in deep. So they they didn't even cover Devin Singletary coming out. They'd Mm -hmm. just leave him. And Josh was, you know, he still almost beat him and should have. Yeah. Uh, but that's what teams are thinking mm-hmm. when they play this game, when they play Josh and these guys. They, they, they know, they think Josh is not going to be disciplined enough to dink and dunk and just keep getting first downs all the way down the field. So they bait him into trying to throw it into some place where he's not going to do it. And he did last year. And I think this year, going into this year, I think he has a chip on his shoulder in that sense of – 
this this was a flaw in my game last year and I'm going to correct it. And any time that he's gone into an offseason with something to work on, it's been better the next year. He's shown significant improvements in areas that he's wanted to work on in offseason. And I expect that will be the same for this season is is not being baited into those things and also fixing the turnovers that he had last season. Before we go to break, I want to clarify this stat now that I'm I'm reading it and understanding it. So it wasn't the running back room averaged 39.4 rushing yards per game in playoff games since Josh Allen was drafted. It was the leading rusher that was not Josh Allen mm-hmm. averaged 39.4 rushing yards per game in playoff games since Josh Allen was drafted. Right. The first game with over 60 rushing yards by a running back um, out of the seven playoff games at that point, Singletary had that in 2021 in the wild card game against the Patriots. Hopefully we see a lot more of that in this season with a bunch yeah. of new faces in that running back room. Yeah, it's it'll be fun to see because those guys – Damian Harris and Latavius Murray yeah. are big dudes mm-hmm. who can pound it. The offensive line has gotten bigger and more athletic yep. up front. Agreed, agreed. You got a new tight end as a first round draft pick. You could see some twelve personnel, and all of a sudden, you got a lot of a lot of big dudes up there with some big backs and a big quarterback. And you know, let's see if you can not get pushed around by them. You mm-hmm. know, that'll be fun to see if they. And in the preseason, we may get a chance to see it. All right, we're answering your calls and your tweets after this break. So stick with us here on One Bills Live. We're presented by Kaleida Health on Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Welcome into One Bills Live, hour number two of our Tuesday show. Maddie Glab filling in for Chris Brown next to my guy Steve Tasker. And our Twitter topic today is what new wrinkle do you want to see from Ken Dorsey and the Bills offense this season? The perfect question to ask as training camp is just days away. I remember in February or March or April, whenever the guys came back, April for workouts, and I was like, man, training camp is is around the corner. Now it really is around the corner. I cannot believe Wednesday, next Wednesday, is the first We've, practice. For Woo! us, for us. Let's get I mean, going. We're already there. I mean, I you would go out here now. because you You've been gone for two weeks, and I was gone like two weeks before that. Yep. It's vacant. There's nobody here. So you come out today, and it's like guys are in. It's, People it's are back, back to normal. It's like, oh, wow. The, like, oh, snap. They turn the lights here on. It you know, it's, it's awesome. So we're already kind of there. You go in there and you see these guys and you, and there's new guys and yeah. particularly today with the mm-hmm. rookies. There's yeah, like rookies all these oh, Okay, who's that guy? You got to get used to like yeah. okay, yeah, okay, who's him, yeah, him, him, mm-hmm. him. And then, you know, the the wily veterans show up these days too, right? 
Yeah, Spencer like they, was in the weight room today. They show up and they go, okay, yeah, you know, because they want to get a head start mm-hmm. as well. So yeah. it's, yeah, guys are getting antsy to get it and going. And some guys just stay in Buffalo. Some guys just think it's easier. Hey, I'll, I'll take my trips when I can. I'll take the weekend trips. I'll take a week off. But I'm just going to put down roots in Buffalo for the off season because it's just easier to do so if I'm rehabbing, if I want to use the weight room, if I want to be with my um, my the strength staff that helps me or, or the trainers who can help me rehab. It's just easier for some of the players to be in Buffalo full-time in the off season. I did it that way. Yeah. Um, we It was – it, I was of the generation in the league where that was a smart thing to do, even when we were living here in Buffalo, mm-hmm. because only the only the really big dudes, the superstars, would even think about paying a guy to help train them. You know, uh, it was a new thing. Now, and we just took advantage of the coaching staff that was already in place, came in, used them, and they helped us. And plus, you know, you get seen every day. Hard to say goodbye to a guy you've seen every day, yeah. right? Um, we felt like maybe they wouldn't cut us if they, you know, they. I've been here. Right. So that was kind of the thing. So yeah. I always stayed here in the off season and would tri- take trips as we needed to get out of town or go do whatever. And I think a lot of guys, you can see it. Guys do that. Mm-hmm. They they hang out here, and it's certainly you can just you know take a trip for a weekend and yeah, go home. It's not bad. Or take a couple Buffalo's of weeks. Great you know? this summer. Um, so it's. Uh, I, I think it's a really smart thing to do mm-hmm. because it gives you that kind of knowledge by osmosis. Of I, I understand why some of the fringe guys want to do it. Well, why some of the guys who, who are fighting for a spot on the roster would want to stay here. Just like you said, to be around, to be, you know, in person, to, to get to work out with, with the strength staff and with your trainers. I think, I think it, you know, it shows that, that you want to be here, that you want to be on the team, and that you're willing to do, you know, whatever it takes to, to fight for a roster spot. But back to our Twitter question of what new wrinkle do you want to see from Ken Dorsey in the Bills' offense this season? We've had Joe, who's been hanging on the line from Williamsville. So, Joe, we'll go over to you and we'll ask you, what wrinkle do you want to see out of Ken Dorsey and this offense this season? Let's see if I can get Joe on. Thanks for taking my call. Hey, Joe, how are you? Hey, Maddie and Steve. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, If I'm breathing a little hard, it's because I've been working out in between breaks here. There you uh, go. (laughs) Anyway, uh, to answer your question first, and then I want a a quick comment after that. Uh, I agree with Kevin that because of the uh, uh, improved backfield that we have over last year, I would like to see the running backs utilized more. And uh, I, I know Josh Allen is the uh, head of the offense, and it's gonna, our success is going to depend on his passing and the receiving. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to see the running backs utilized more. Yeah. But last week I heard a concerning interview with Vinny Testaverde, and I think the future of football as we – know it today isn't going to be the same in years to come. And basically what they had doctors on this uh, interview also with them, and uh, they felt that the major cause of CTE was the concussions. Mm -hmm. And now they're saying that it's uh, the hits that a player takes. And they had it broken down by uh, position quarterback, running back, uh, defensive back, they take anywhere from 28 to 30 G's per hit. And so what is a, a G? They 
said a 28 or 30 G hit is equivalent to a 30 mile an hour car crash. And Vinny Testaverde, as you probably well know, he was in the league for 21 years. He retired in 2007, and he's 59 years old. And the guy looked great, in good shape. He could carry on a conversation. But he said years back, he had problems with his speech, his thought and process and everything. And through his medical doctors and physical therapists, he was able to overcome it. But then they also said what they're thinking of doing is kids should not play tackle football at least until they're 12 years of age. Flag football is fine, but tackle football at least not until 12, and then they would need a consent of the parent. So anyway, that's my uh, answer to your, your question and my, uh, you know, the interview that I saw last week. I thought that was, you know, quite uh, disturbing, you know, because we know and love the game the way it is. But you can see the changes that are being made on the kickoff this year. Yeah. Yeah, so, and they, they are – yeah, thanks for the call, Joe. You're right. And they are, you know, doing what they can to make the game safer, not only rule on the rules but also with the equipment. I mean, you had guys um, like Vinny and myself. He probably started playing football with a six-point suspension helmet that had canvas straps in it. it yeah. And then it's evolved from there. Now they've got helmets that are more like crash helmets than football helmets. And – that that is a huge step in the right direction. Plus, making you know, stopping guys from you know not letting teams form wedges on kickoffs and having guys run in opposite directions and not trying to avoid each other as a like you do it on kickoffs and got on kickoffs. No question about it. Uh, the, and I was we were watching in the control room today. The NFL Films had the the top ten greatest pass rushers of all time. Bruce was on the list. Deacon Jones was the number one guy they had and and all of that, uh, all these pass rushers. And you would go back, you go back and watch the films of the hits in the pocket that the NFL quarterbacks Oof. used to take, like yeah. Vinny Testaverde. And it, and I say this all the time, it was, an, it was literally a half step above a bar fight. Gosh. I mean, it was just brutal, mm -hmm. just absolutely brutal. So now the game is way more positive, and we don't know what the, we don't know the positive or even negative effects that the rule changes and the better equipment, the better coaching, the softer schedules, um, generally speaking, uh, are for players. And we don't know what those are, are going to be for the players. The, the effects are going to be in, in generations to come. Mm -hmm. um, but I, th I have, have to applaud the effort made by not only the National Football League, but also lower levels of football toward making it more fun and safer for kids and getting kids, small kid like I used to be a really tiny little kid, getting them equipment that fits, getting them equipment that's safe, and, and getting them equipment, the best equipment available so they can, you know, live their lives the way they want and not be afraid to play a game like football. Yeah. And I don't have a problem wait, making them wait until they're 12. I did. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I, the problem is I had two concussions before I played football. Yeah. Just because I was a little kid back in the 60s, and, you know, you're riding around in the back of a pickup truck, you know, that kind <laughs> of no stuff. With no seatbelt. Right. There, nobody <laughs> had seat. You know, it was a different world. Right, right. I got my first concussion at a little basketball camp, mm -hmm. right? So, you know, 
life, life is life. Life happens. Yeah. And, um, but I, I, I applaud the efforts of the league, the NFL, college football, the NCAA, uh, US, USA football. Um, they are really doing a great job of making the game safer and, and making it available and safe, more mm-hmm. safely available for, to a lot more yeah, kids. Yeah, I love this game so much. I, I love football. I, I want to work in football for the rest of my life if possible, and I think it's so cool how the game brings people together. Um, but with that, I also think that the NFL and, and other leagues across the world and, and leagues who are – bringing kids up and, and college football and, and your, your pup pop warmer Warner leagues and all that, they should be striving to do whatever they can to make this game as safe as it can be so that it can be played for a long, long time. And we don't have to live in a world where uh, either football doesn't exist or it looks very, very different. Um, maybe it will look different because they're trying to make it as safe as it can be. And I think even if it's tough, we should all be on board for something like that. Um, because you should want the best for their players and, and their safety and their health. Flag football is becoming really, really popular for kids, um, for for girls, for boys, um, for co-ed leagues. I have loved to see how the game has grown to the point where high schools are now offering it as, as a sport that you can play. College teams, colleges are also now having flag football teams and starting to recruit um, people to, to play on those teams. We did a story that's going to be released hopefully today or tomorrow on Bobby Babich's daughter, um, Lainey Babich, she plays flag football for Orchard Park High School. And it was so fun to cover a few of those games and to tell her story and to just see how much those kids love flag football. It was their, yeah. it was Orchard Park's second year of having the flag football team. And they had about 20, 30 girls on the roster. And a lot of them, you know, it was their first or second year playing the sport. And we interviewed Lainey and a couple other people. And a lot of them said, you know, I, I wish I could play this sooner. I wish it was a high school sport for longer. So it's been cool to see how the game has kind of um, blown up, at least in the Western New York area. And the Bills have done a lot also to help help grow the game of flag football, especially when it comes to opportunities for girls to play the sport. So I think that's super cool. And if flag football is the thing that now kids are playing until they're 12, until it's they can start playing tackle football, then heck yeah. I, <laughs> I think flag football is so much fun. I played flag football in middle school. I wish I could have played it in high school. I wish it was a sport to play. Um, I played it for fun for a few years after I graduated from college with teams, with friends. Um, so... I'm on board. I think I it's very I, entertaining too. It's great. It's a great. It's a great. Uh, it gets exposes kids to a great aspect of the game. Uh, it's it's great. It's fun and it promotes teamwork. And I, that's one of the great things about being a football player. Also, and for Joe, who just called in, you know, he says he and getting back to what he said about the running backs, you know, he wants them to be used more. I'm okay with that too. I don't. I don't have a problem having the running backs on the field and being used more. I just don't want to hand them the ball more. I, I'll throw it to him. Uh, I just don't want to hand it to him. Here's the problem. If, if you can hand the football off 100% of the time and win the game, the game becomes easy. It's never going to be easy. And you need to have a, a fully developed, ready-to-go passing game on all aspects and have it well-lubed and oiled up, and you got to have guys ready. you got to have them engaged all the time. You can't, yeah. like, just – you can't um, – and it's like it used to be in the 60s where it was mostly run and 
it's like 60% run, 40% pass. The reason they had struggled to pass is because they didn't do it very much. Nobody was really that developed and wasn't that polished. It's the same thing now. The run game's easy because all you got to do is turn around and hand it off and then let this Saquon Barkley or Josh Jacobs or one of these other Chubb or whatever just do their thing. You know, this finger quote, do, do your thing, man. Just turn you loose, right? Just find an open. Just run it over there. If you can do that, that's easy. It doesn't work. Even bad teams can yeah. stop the run, you know? And stuff under, under weird circumstances, you, you got to really, you got to really stink on a day to give up a to not be have, force a team to have to throw the football. Remember the the wind the forty mile an hour wind game here in Buffalo. That never happens. Yeah. It never happens. Yeah. Right. Six and, passing attempts. Right. From Mac. So. In that game, it's Oof. just too. It's just too weird to even think about. So I'm I don't mind them using the running backs more, but they better be catching it, not just taking it out yeah. of Josh's hand. Yeah. You got to do it differently now. That's just the way it is yeah. because it's it's just the most way, efficient way to move the football. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Excuse me. All right, Mark from West Seneca has been hanging on the line. Mark, we want to bring you into the conversation. What wrinkle do you think Ken Dorsey should add to the offense this season? All right, let's go to Mark. Oh, hi hey, guys. Mark. I, yeah, I didn't think I was on there for a minute. Nope, you're uh, on with I us. Got a, I got a couple wrinkles, but yeah. I, a quick comment on the youth thing. Uh, I was a youth hockey coach for over 30 years, and early in my career, checking hockey was not allowed in youth hockey until 12 years old. And then USA Hockey went so far, and they upped it. Now it's 14. So I find it really curious that you look at a collision sport like football, and they're letting the kids at young ages run into each other, tackle each other, and all that. But in hockey, where a kid might get hit two, three times a game, maybe throw two, three checks a game, um, they've upped it in ages. So I, I think it's a it's a really good point that they need to look at that as far as uh, tackle football at young ages. Uh, as far as the wrinkles go, um, I have an old new wrinkle and, and then one other one. My old new one is... It seemed to me in the red zone, the design runs for Josh went away last year. And I think, uh, especially with the threat of Damian Harris and, and Murray in the red zone, that a few more, I'm not saying a lot, but a few more red zone, design red zone runs for uh, Josh in the red zone really, really make us dangerous. And a couple of years ago, we were unstoppable in the red zone, and that's when Josh really seemed to be running in the red zone quite a bit. And the other wrinkle I have is I'd like to see them just use all their personnel um, all over the field. Um, There were games last year, the eye test told me, that certain players disappeared in certain games completely, weren't being used, may have been on the field, but weren't having the ball thrown to them, whatever it might be. Um, And I think they need to make sure that they're attacking teams and keeping them off balance by using everybody consistently and not going away from players uh, in the name of attacking defenses in certain areas only. So that's what I had, guys. Thanks. Yeah, I, I get you. Mark, it's an interesting point about the NHL, you know, raising the level of contact to 14 instead of 12, because that's when, when my guys were younger. That's when it was as well. It was 12 years old. 
Um, I do think this, too. The NHL has done their share of changing their game and letting it evolve away from the fighting. You know, you hardly ever see fights like you did in hockey. I mean, it was, it was commonplace to see multiple fights in a hockey game every night uh, back, in the, back in the early days mm-hmm. of the sport and even when I was young. Uh, the, the evolution that NHL has seen also mirrors – the lack of or the less physicality or different, completely different type of physicality that has happened in the NHL. So they responded to that. And I, and I, I would think that's an interesting point by you to raise the level of where you can start tackling players uh, in, in tackle football instead of flag football. Um, maybe raise that level nationally to you know, make it safer for kids until they get to a point. Um, now, as far as you know, Josh running in the red zone, I don't know. I think Josh is an effective red zone runner, and if you can run the ball in the red zone, you're, you're really successful. That's, that's what's really crucial in the red zone. If you can run it, you're really good mm-hmm. um, because there's just no space. Tight that's why Josh is such an effective runner. Yeah. It's just you got an extra blocker. You throw the running back out in front of him, and it's like student body right. We've yeah. all seen it. He tucks the ball under his head, under his arm. It's a magical thing. Ducks his shoulder, and he follows two, both whichever <laughs> offensive lineman's uncovered. They all get out in front of him. The running back gets out in front of him. Dawson Knox gets out in front of him, and the receiver's out there out in front of him. And everybody just kind of bowls into the end zone together. Very effective. And I don't have a problem with any of that stuff, although it's dangerous. Because there's too many bodies out there not to get hit by somebody if you're the quarterback. You don't want Josh to get hit by anybody. And that's dangerous. And I get it. The red zone is the important spot of the field, but it's not that Im- it's not important to score a touchdown on any given drive if you're going to lose your quarterback over it. You don't want to do that. Yeah. And using everybody all the time, don't let like don't let Gabe Davis disappear in a game. Don't let Steph Diggs get disappear in a game. That is more of a function of game of the game itself rather than a plan. It's not. Dorsey's plan to focus away from Gabe Davis or away from Steph Diggs or away from Dawson Knox or away from whoever it is you're thinking disappeared. That's a function of a game plan that is being executed by your team against a defense that's making decisions on its own. So if if there's places where Steph Diggs disappears, you can bet it's because Josh sees them double-teaming him and is making him pay for it with Gabe Davis and, you know, Trent Sherfield and Dawson Knox and James Cook. Somebody else is eating if somebody disappears. So you're you're always, you're always going to have one or two guys that are up or down where there's only so many snaps you get into a game, and the the distribution of those snaps and who gets the ball on every one of them is going to change game to game because of the defense you're playing. It's not because of Ken Dorsey uh, or anybody else. Now certainly Dorsey can dial up a play for Steph Diggs, but the defense can take it away. So you got to go somewhere else. Yeah, to the point of using everybody. I mean, Dorsey's going to have more options in his bag of tricks this year because of the players on the roster. And so, you know, you want to see him use everything that he has from game to game. Maybe some games you might not see as much 12 personnel because of the defense that you're playing. Um, But being able to use that throughout the offseason to your advantage, not the offseason, through the season to your advantage, 
like, of course, I want to see the 12 personnel. I want to see Dalton Kincaid used, even though he's a rookie. I, I do want to see him get thrown out there. He's he's going to be um, a, a piece to this offense this year that's hopefully going to put them a notch higher than they were last year because of what he can do, because of his hands, because of his elite ball skills that everybody has talked about all offseason. I want to see them use Damian Harris as a bulldozer in the red zone because he has great numbers in the red zone. So does Latavius Murray. Maybe we see a little bit more of that rather than Josh Allen in the red zone this year because you have guys who have been able to do it and who have done it at a high level. Um, I think sometimes last year we didn't see more of, let's say, Gabe Davis because the injuries were a thing for a lot of these players because the offensive line was banged up and injured or it wasn't working how it should game to game. And, and hopefully this year we go into a season full of health and, and health and health and, and not a lot of injuries, knock on wood while I'm saying this, because then you're going to get the best out of your guys. You're going to get guys who, yes, by the end of the year, you're not 100%, you're maybe 80%, but you're not playing injured. And I think that ankle sprain for Gabe Davis really messed with him when, when he had it. And, and it's hard to recover from things like that as, as a younger player. Um, when you're dealing with nagging injuries. So hopefully Ken Dorsey can use everything and, and can use it to the best of his ability and the players are able to, you know, put their best out there because they also feel their best. Right. We talk about it all the time and, and you know, these guys are going to be out. And Ken, this goes into the stew of the recipe that Ken Dorsey comes up with every week in, during the season. You know, everything's always changing all the time about what defense – like. You know, you go down the Bills' schedule, and you know you open up with the Jets. Okay, I, all right. So, you get the Jets, and so you got Aaron Rodgers, you got Sauce Gardner, you got the whole, you know, the whole thing going on. And then, you know, then the next week it's it's the Raiders, right? So, um, so you, you got a whole different game plan you got to go through. And one of the things we talk about constantly here is this. We don't know what teams are – you know what you've, you've got in your team, and that's that's the one leg up you've got. Sean, Sean McDermott, Ken Dorsey, um, they've, they've got a handle on both their squads, offense and defense, and who they are and who plays well. What they don't know in any given game is exactly what the other team has and how they see your team. Mm-hmm. You're going into this game, and you got the New York Jets – and you think you've seen the Jets, but you don't haven't seen them with Aaron Rodgers and these guys, right? This group of cast of characters, they haven't seen you either. And you've got to you throw out. A, and that's why I used to script plays. You put this combination of players on. You run through these shifts and say, what do they what do they do to us? What do they think? What do they show us? They thought about this shift and this people running this shift. Well, they ended up with a fat guy. Garden Dalton Kincaid. They are not worried about Dalton Kincaid. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going back to that because if they get in that again, Dalton's going to roast the guy. Right? Yeah. Yep. That I'm exaggerating and making it simple to yeah. make a point. That's that's the matchup we want. So we're going to go back to that. They'll go through the whole script though as well and say, okay, on that play, all right, we can go back and get Dalton's matchup right there next time we want to. And this on this down and distance is this thing. Oh my gosh, they had Steph Diggs. And they had the safety down one-on-one on him when we did this shift in motion. All right, so they, you know, all that stuff is finding out about what the other team thinks. That's why you get these game plans that evolve and you get these guys coming off and between every series, they're talking about, oh, did you see that? 
Yeah, I saw this and this and this. And he goes, yeah. And he goes, call this play. That's, the guys are coming off going, call this play, call this play, call this play, never realizing that it has to be that down a distance in that area of the field before they're going to get that look again. So they just want you to call it right away, and they're not going to get the same defense. That's where all the analytics and all that stuff come into play, and you got a bunch of eyeballs on it thinking through that stuff, and you're trying to get into the right play at the right time, at the right down and distance, with the right – they've got the right personnel on the field because the next time you go in, all of a sudden they got different personnel on, and you get a, you get a, a different guy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mental gymnastics at the highest degree, and you got to have a bunch of guys on your staff that have really specific things to watch on every play – and they're feeding that information up the line, and it's getting distilled further and further down until it reaches Ken Dorsey, and he says, okay, I got it, right? I mean, it's complicated. I mean, there's, it's unbelievable the level of stuff they got to go through to distill the information they can grab from all of this. That takes me back to, quick before we go to break, um, when the Bills played the Seahawks in 2020, and the Bills beat the Seahawks 44-34, to um, Pete Carroll, after the game, was being asked about how they prepared and what they were expecting, and he said something like, I expected them to run the ball more. Yeah. And the Bills threw for 420 yards, or they threw for 386 yards and rushed for only 34 yards. And they had game-planned a game where they were expecting the Bills to run the ball more and weren't prepared for how much they passed the ball in that game. Right. So you, the way that, that teams early, interpret you are yeah. very different. Think about it. That's in 2020. Nobody knew anything because it that was, was COVID. That was the beginning it was of COVID. Yeah. That's, that's when the Bills all beginning of a sudden. Beginning of the Bills tossed that's, in the rock. You know, right when they detonated. Yep. And nobody believed it yet. Mm-hmm. And the the Seahawks going in there. Listen, they can't throw it on. They yep. they can't throw and it. They They're going to run it. They, they got did. this big strong quarterback. They got these. Run, they're going to run it on us. They ain't going to throw it. And they ended up getting lit up. Yep. All right, we're continuing the conversation next here on One Bills Live after this quick break, so stay with us here. We're One Bills Live. We're presented by Clyde Health on Buffalo Bills Radio. Bills Live. Let's get into our tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of the Buffalo Bills. Our question, what new wrinkle do you want to see from Ken Dorsey and the Bills offense this season? And number one from Steve, he says, I think I would like to see an occasional trick play. I do not believe we ran one all year. I believe it keeps the defense honest and gives them more to worry about. What do you think about trick plays and using them? We, I don't know if we used one last year. Thinking back last year, and if we did it, I don't know what, call, what constitutes a trick two. play. I don't know, but it, I, I I don't remember. I don't remember year. one. Um, I, you don't use trick plays when you're 13 and three and you've <laughs> lost three games by a total of eight points. You you don't you just don't do it. Set the record straight. You just don't. Yeah. There was, and I get it. They're too. fun I mean, to watch. Yeah, they're fun. They're I get fun it, and, and it gives you the it gives an offensive coordinator a little sense of creativity, and people are like, "Oh, hey, okay, that's nice." He's in hey, his bag. Call, it, it's great when it works. When it doesn't work, you look like a donkey. Yeah, that's true. So nobody wants that. Um, and like I said, this team, and and I and I get it too. They're getting this rep. You get this reputation as if you're Buffalo Bills in this certain point in history, where you know it's all about the playoffs. Now you got to you got to go further in the playoffs. You got to get to the Super Bowl. You got to give yourself a chance at a World Championship. You got to get the championship game. That kind of thing. They're getting, you know, this regular season juggernaut, which they are, but nobody's going to. Now it's to the point where nobody cares now. They, you, they want to see them in the playoffs. 
that's kind of where you're at. But when you're as good as this team is, you know, you're not going to see very many trick plays. From Jack, he says, more play action and bring back the jet sweeps and motions that were missing in last year's offense. The stats on play action prove they work. Even when teams aren't great at rushing, the jet sweeps don't let teams crowd the box and open up other runs. Motions will give Allen a better idea on the defense. Okay, so a couple of things there. We'll start with play action. What do you think about using a little bit more play action within the offense? Well, it would be great because if the play action really works well, and they you know, they say it doesn't matter if it's if you're running the ball well or not, mm-hmm. you just run the ball well. <laughs> I don't care about yeah. play action. If you're running the ball well, nobody you know it takes care of itself. You don't have to play action, mm-hmm. you know. So you can get over the this team can get over the top wherever they want to anyway, and. The threat of having Josh back. Yeah, play action's fine. It works. It has its place. No question about it. But, uh, yeah, I'm I'm neither here nor there on that. And then the jet sweeps. We didn't see too many of those last season. I mean, we did see some, but it was it was here and there. Pick your spots where you right. need them. Um, jet sweeps, yes, they can help a team. They can help in a, in a situation, a scenario. It's not necessarily something that will flip the game for an offense. It's it's a spot here, a spot there. I also think of within this breath is bubble screens. We didn't see a right. lot of those last year either. And, and maybe with the personnel that we have on this team this year, you'll see a little bit more of that. I know the jet sweeps are, are reserved for, you know, some of the Isaiah McKenzie would have some some of our running right. backs as well. Deontay and, Hardy, yeah, seems Deontay like a guy Hardy like seems like a guy who could do that. The, the the reason they do these jet sweeps and they run bu- is the same reason they run bubble screens. It's to get the ball to the edge fast. Mm-hmm. Um, a guy with speed who's already in motion, who can who you can do the ball handling with, whether you snap it to Josh in the shotgun and he tosses it to him or hands it to him or however you get the ball. That's you know, that's the crucial element of those plays. And plus, if Josh can catch the snap or take the snap from under center and throw it fast enough to get it out there before the corners out there can react, that kind of thing. So it, there has to be a spot for it, and you have to be confident they're not going to jump across and blow it up before you get it going. But that's the reason you do bubble screens and sweep jet sweeps. Get the ball to the edge yeah. fast. And it also has become uh, – it's a new thing with offenses in this day and age that we didn't have it in my day and age was that you force the defense to defend the line of scrimmage at the sideline. It used to be, you know, they'd back off. And, you know, you're going to throw it at least five yards down the mm-hmm. field. Well, now they started throwing it behind the line of scrimmage a lot. Now they got to they got to stay up there to cover that and maybe get a tackle for loss or at least make a tackle. So it, it's – and the reason, the obvious is if you got a guy going deep on that side and you got a guy right here – What's the defender do? Is he going to cover the deep guy, or is the safety going to get over? It's you're thinner then. You got more space because you got to guard more shallow routes, along with keeping a lid on the defense and the deep spot. So that spreads your defensive responsibilities thinner and thinner, and that's what an offense is trying to do. So these jet sweeps they, they work and they have their place, but once again, for me, it's going to be about what the defense sees. If yeah. they if if they can do that, if they play a lot of off corners. You know, where they're guys six or seven or eight yards off the ball and, and waiting, kind of hanging out. Um, you can get the ball out there fast enough where you're going to have a little bit of space once once the ball's there. And so. 
I think all that stuff is stuff is about rhythm and timing within a game, within within the spots that you want to pick yeah. to use something like that. It's it, it helps a team get in and out of rhythms. Um, it helps a team get into rhythms. Talking about play action and things like that, motions. Um, Every team will do that once in a while. Give you a shot at that once in a while. Yeah. I and like it. We'll see. You might put a rule in that says, yes, no matter what happens, if they do this, we do that Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. We'll see if they use that a little bit more with, with the different faces, new faces now on this team. A guy like Deontay Hardy and some, some new running backs on the roster. All right. We're closing up shop here on One Bills Live. We When we return, we're presented by Clyde Health on Buffalo Bills Radio. Okay, before we go this afternoon, we wanted to share a feel-good story with you guys. Maybe it doesn't start as a feel-good story because I know we've all experienced flight delays this year, especially this summer. Flight delay after flight delay after flight delay. Canceled I, flights. I know what you yeah. mean. I know you know what I mean. Yeah. Canceled flights here and there. Well, it happened to none other than Sean McDermott, our head coach of the Buffalo Bills. He was traveling home from a softball tournament with his daughter. They were in the Atlanta airport. There was delays. The flight eventually got canceled, and he got talking with a Bills fan named Jason Gunther. He's also a hockey coach at Nichols, and the two started, you know, shoot the breeze, just started talking, and they ended up forming a plan together of, hey, let's rent a car, let's or let's fly to the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh airport, then let's rent a car and drive back home to Buffalo. So Jason did an interview with the Buffalo News, and I'm reading this article, and it's, it's talking about how the two got to spend some time in the car together, a three-and-a-half-hour drive, a surreal nice. moment for a Bills fan and a fellow coach, and the Two shared a little philosophy together. Good for Love them. It. Nice way to yeah. end a canceled flight. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. One to three. Join us. Yeah.